The Book of Mormon is a volume of Holy Scripture comparable to the Bible. It is a record of God's dealings with ancient inhabitants of the Americas and contains the fullness of the everlasting gospel. The crowning event recorded in the Book of Mormon is the personal ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ among the Nephites soon after his resurrection. I invite you to read the Book of Mormon, to ponder in your heart the message it contains, and then to ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if the book is true. All who pursue this course and ask in faith will gain a testimony of its truth and divinity by the power of the Holy Ghost. I invite you to join us for our study of the Book of Mormon this year and encourage each of us to seek divine inspiration. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I'd say that the Book of Mormon has really helped to strengthen my testimony of Christ because as I've studied it, it's helped me to learn more about who He is. We talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, and we write according to our prophecies. And He will take upon Him death, that He may loose the bands of death which bind His people. And He will take upon Him their infirmities, that His bowels may be filled with mercy. And behold, I am the light and the life of the world, and I have drunk out of that bitter cup which the Father hath given me. Behold, I am Jesus Christ, I am the Father and the Son. In me shall all mankind have life. I am a God of miracles, and I will show unto the world that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I thought I knew a lot about Jesus Christ. I could have told you about Him. But when I read the Book of Mormon for the first time, when I actually read it, it changed everything. Welcome, everybody, to our discussion on the introductory pages of the Book of Mormon. My name is Ben Lomu, and I'm your host. Seated next to me is our gospel scholar, Melissa Inouye. Melissa is a historian with the Church History Department of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Welcome, Melissa. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. And next to Melissa is our special guest, Jason Olson. Jason is a Navy Foreign Area Officer and has served as a Navy Chaplain. He has degrees in Hebrew Bible and Ancient Near Eastern Studies and a PhD from Brandeis University in Near Eastern and Judaic Studies. Welcome, Jason. Thank you, glad to be here. And we're also joined by our studio audience. Thank you all for being here today. Our discussions today are built around the scriptures and complemented by the resource, Come Follow Me. Additional study and teaching material is available at byutv.org slash come follow up. All right, Melissa, it's a new year and we get to jump into the Book of Mormon. Very, very exciting things. Uh, would you mind giving us an overview of kind of what we're gonna be looking at as we jump into this introduction of the Book of Mormon? The Book of Mormon, as we know, was published in 1830 in Palmyra and then there were subsequent editions. And you can kind of see over time the front matter changed a little bit. So for example, um, in the very first edition of in 1830, Joseph Smith actually explains, there used to be 116 pages uh, talking about Lehi, but we don't have those anymore. So we've like just avoided that and we've gone straight to Nephi. But then subsequent editions um, just went straight into Nephi, for example. In 1920, the testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith was added as, as some of this front matter. And that was taken from the Pearl of Great Price, which was itself taken from an 1838 history. You can kind of see as the Book of Mormon acquires more and more of this kind of explanatory material, it's responding to the needs of more and more readers. So the first topic we're going to be looking at is the coming forth of the Book of Mormon is a miracle. Where do we see some of the miraculous events that led to this? 
Well, I just asked Jason how long it took him to write to write his PhD dissertation. You were like, you're preparing, and then how long did it take you to actually write the dissertation? I would say two years. Two years to actually write. Wow. To write it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it took me like, I can't even like count how many. Anyway, it took me a long time also. <laughs> and so so whenever historians get together and they talk about, you know, the Joseph Smith, he dictated it at breakneck speed between April and June of 1829. That's just incredible. He had no problems with writer's block. And, and the really kind of extraordinary thing is he was not, well-educated. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you actually read some of his earliest writings, you can see his grammar is poor. He doesn't punctuate things. So his wife, Emma Smith, was Joseph Smith's first scribe. She was interviewed by her son. She said, um, in writing for your father, and she's talking to her son, I frequently wrote day after day, often sitting at the table close by him. He's sitting with his face buried in his hat with a seer stone in it and dictating hour after hour with nothing between us. And her son asked, had he not a book or a manuscript from which he read or dictated to you? And she said, he had neither book nor manuscript to read from. She says, the plates often lay on the table without any attempt at concealment, wrapped in a small linen tablecloth, which I had given him to fold them in. And then she says that when Oliver Cowdery was scribing for Joseph Smith, they also you know, did that in the room where she was you know, sweeping or wiping the table. And, and this is kind of the key. She says, My belief is that the Book of Mormon is of divine authenticity. I have not the slightest doubt of it. I am satisfied that no man could have dictated the writing of the Mm -hmm. manuscripts unless he was inspired. For when acting as his scribe, your father would dictate to me hour after hour. And when returning after meals or after interruptions, he would at once begin where he had left off without either seeing the manuscript or having any portion of it read to him. This was a usual thing for him to do. It would have been improbable that a learned man could do this. And for one so ignorant and unlearned as he was, it was simply impossible. So this, like, really firsthand account, I think, is so interesting to me. And, you know, Emma Smith knew Joseph and all of his weaknesses, all of his strengths. She had had a hard life in many mm-hmm. ways. But she had this rock-solid testimony that the Book of Mormon had yeah. come through miraculous inspiration. And I love that because it does show help from God, a miracle from God. Jason, you are a biblical scholar. Uh, what evidence or other historical miracles do we see from the Bible that points to the authenticity of the Book of Mormon? Well, what comes to my mind immediately, and I'll, I'll share my story soon, but uh, when I first encountered the Book of Mormon, uh, when a friend gave it to me, I saw about Joseph Smith's story about that he got a Urim and Thummim and a breastplate from, you know, from the box where the plates were. I grew up as a, as a Jewish person, and I had just heard little inklings about the Urim and Thummim from some Torah portion uh, of a bar mitzvah that I went to as a kid. I didn't know much about it, because that's not something that even a lot of Jewish people are, are looking into, but I, I had this uh, handbook of Jewish thought by Rabbi Arya Kaplan uh, as a kid that it's a rabbi gave to me, and I, I looked it up. What's, what's the Urim and Thummim? And I read that, oh, the high priest in the days of the first temple, when all the revelation and, and miracles were very present, the high priest would go and pray to God, and there were 12 stones on his breastplate with the Hebrew letters of the 12 tribes of Israel on the breastplate. And as he would pray, the letters would shine. Uh, the Urim and Thummim would highlight these letters, spelling out the revelation that God was giving to the high priest. And so when I read about the process of the miracle of translation that Joseph Smith accomplished for the Book of Mormon, and very similar, he would look into the stones and he would see the translation. This is how the Urim and Thummim works. Mm -hmm. And it's just seamless for me. Wow, that's incredible to think that there were 
did, at that age to be able to draw that connection to some of the things that you had been studying, you know, from Jewish culture, uh, it's pretty fascinating. Melissa, as we look at some of the other historical accounts, is there anything that stands out to you about how miraculous the coming forth of the Book of Mormon is? What I think is just, again, I, I can't get over the fact that um, it just happened so fast and that he was not educated at all. Like when you look at the, the kind of introduction to the structure of the Book of Mormon that is now in all of our um, kind of printed scriptures, you know, there's like these different books and they like refer to each other and they cross-reference each other yeah. and like, but it's like, it's an extremely complex yeah. book. Now, Jason, you have uh, a, a personal miraculous story on how you came about discovering the Book of Mormon. Would you mind sharing with us a little bit about that? Yeah, so as I just mentioned, I, I was raised in Judaism. Mm -hmm. my, my mother is Jewish, my father is Lutheran. Um, but but Judaism is passed through the mother, so okay. she was was raising me in that, and uh, of course I I went to some Hebrew school growing up. But the seminal event was uh, when I had a bar mitzvah uh, at the age of thirteen, which for those who don't know means a son of the commandments. And so what are the commandments? The Torah, the the five books of Moses, and so it's it's a coming of age and a reaffirmation of the covenant made at Mount Sinai between, between God and the, all the tribes of Israel. But in Judaism, that covenant that God made with the children of Israel at Mount Sinai is, is the heart of Judaism. And so when one becomes a bar mitzvah for a boy or a bat mitzvah for a girl, it's, it's, it's a huge experience. But for me, I revered Moses. I got to read from a Torah scroll, which is ancient tradition passed from millennia. And it was a, a very sacred experience for me. And I felt like I was literally wrapped in the covenant of my ancestors. And it was a spiritual experience for me. And I felt close to God. I felt close to the, the Torah, the reading from the scroll and the way that my ancestors had always done. And I wanted to live that, that Jewish life. So I had, I had these Latter-day Saint friends in high school, uh, Shay Owens, Dave Faxton, and I'm trying to convince them, I'm trying to like, counter-counter-missionary, right? Because mm -hmm. I know these guys are gonna be missionaries one day. Um, I, I at least knew that about the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. And so we have these fascinating discussions. At one point, we were talking about the prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament. And I said, you know, Jesus hasn't fulfilled this one yet, guys. And they said, well, <laughs> he comes first as a lamb, and th those are the lamb prophecies. But we do believe in a second coming, where he'll fulfill the lion prophecies as we see them. And so I said, the, lion, the second coming, the lion prophecies? I never even heard of the second coming. And, I was, and it just really threw me for a loop. So eventually, uh, Dave and Shay, they work up the courage to give me a Book of Mormon. Dave takes me to the library where it's a little more reverent than the, the lunchroom in a, you know, a high school. <laughs> and he says, Jason, we, uh, Shay and I have wanted to uh, give you this Book of Mormon. Um, we know you don't believe like we do, but you've asked us a lot of questions, and this book has some answers that you can read for yourself. And I was like, oh, goodness. And I saw on the title page, Another Testament of Jesus Christ. And I was like, I, don't, I really don't want that. <laughs> uh, I reluctantly took it, and, and I stuffed it in my backpack. I became very anxious uh, that I had this contraband book <laughs> and I didn't want my family members to find it. 
so I, I decided I could, on the one hand, I could give it back to Dave, but you know, he gave me his sacred scripture. I, I wouldn't want somebody to do that to me, right? On the other hand, I have to get rid of it and because I, I just don't want to read it. So I settle on, you know, what any good 14-year-old would do is to burn it. But I take a lighter from the cupboard late at night, after midnight, and I go, I'm in between the garage and the, uh, the white stucco fence that separates from us from the neighbors. And I've got my lighter in my pocket and I got the Book of Mormon hidden under my shirt so nobody knows. As I'm about to flick the switch, I feel the spirit. And I just feel a voice say, do not burn my book. And I feel that this book that I'm holding has like a new weight to it. And I feel that I would offend God for sure if I burn it. And so I put the lighter back in my pocket, hide the Book of Mormon under my shirt. I go back in my room, turn the lights off, but I have a lamp so nobody knows I'm actually awake. And I start reading it. And of course, I, I, the first thing I see is the title page. And then the rest just takes off from there. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's amazing. Well, I would love to hear from the audience. How has the Book of Mormon been a miracle in your life? Lisa. You know, I felt the Spirit when you were telling your story and it witnessed to me again for the millionth time, this is true. This actually happened. And to me, that's a miracle. But as I've read throughout my life, I have experienced so many messages and understandings, and it's given me faith and hope in my own personal life. And that is a miracle to me. It's not just a little story. These are real events that, that are here for me and us. What a beautiful testimony. Thank you so much, Lisa, for sharing that with us. Thank you both so much for sharing your experiences and comments on the miraculous coming forth of the Book of Mormon. And for the audience, thanks for being here and sharing with us as well. And for those at home, what are you most looking forward to in your study of the Book of Mormon this year? Share with us on any of our social media platforms. When I feel the Spirit, I feel like my soul is like stretching or expanding. I feel bigger and it's a really joyful kind of feeling. It's my favorite feeling in the whole world to feel the Spirit. If I feel at peace, I know that's from the Spirit. If I feel anxious or not at peace, then I know that that is the Spirit telling me that I'm going the wrong direction. I will find connections or simple things I can do to serve other people in my mind, but then I will also feel peace and joy at the same time in my heart. I love looking around and seeing signs from God, whether it be in a conversation or on a billboard or in a book. I can feel the Spirit witnessing to me that there's a message for me in that, and it becomes really personal. The second topic we're going to be looking at today is studying the Book of Mormon can strengthen my faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to be primarily uh, looking at the title page uh, of the Book of Mormon. Melissa, would you mind giving us some background on how the title page uh, sets up how the Book of Mormon focuses on Jesus Christ? Well, I think it'd be great to hear how Joseph Smith set it up. He said, 
I wish to mention here that the title page of the Book of Mormon is a literal translation taken from the very last leaf on the left-hand side of the collection or book of plates, which contain the record which has been translated, the language of the whole running the same as all Hebrew writing in general. And that said title page is not by any means a modern composition, either of mine or of any man who has lived or does live in this generation. So Joseph Smith's point is that this title page was not formulated by him, but it was translated by him. I think that is, you know, the, it's pretty clear the point of the Book of Mormon is to testify that Jesus is the Christ, which is why in fairly recent times, the subtitle, Another Testament of Jesus Christ, was added to the Book of Mormon. So if the title page of the Book of Mormon is going to tell us why we have the Book of Mormon, what would you say? The title page of the Book of Mormon is, is the first thing that I read when okay. I opened it up and I was, I was reading under lamplight. And uh, when I open up the title page and I see that it's written to the Lamanites, I, I don't know who those are yet, but who are a remnant of the house of Israel and also to Jew and Gentile. And then I see here, which this just overwhelmed me. This is the thesis of the Book of Mormon, the whole purpose, which is to show unto the remnant of the house of Israel, what great things the Lord hath done for their fathers, and that they may know the covenants of the Lord, that they are not cast off forever. That this book was written to the remnant of the house of Israel. And that's all the 12 tribes. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's speaking to me a bit. The great things the Lord hath done for their fathers, that is all that we do in Judaism, is we, it, each Jewish holy day, is to celebrate and remember the great things the Lord has done for our fathers. Okay, so I'm so glad you said that because we had a question that one of our viewers sent in that relates specifically to that. So I, I wanna watch that and then I'm yeah. really interested on your take on it. My name is Joe Castaneda. I'm from San Diego, California. The title page mentions that the Book of Mormon was written to show unto them what great things the Lord hath done for their fathers. How can knowing the relationship between God and my fathers bless my life? That's yeah. your story, right? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, for me, th this just rang true to me, right? So Passover, I still celebrate Passover, and that's what Passover is all about. The Lord did a great thing. We were slaves, it wasn't good, mm -hmm. and the Lord delivered us with a very mighty hand. And we want to remember that because that's how we remember the great things the Lord has done for our fathers. How does that help bless your life moving forward? The most important part of the restoration for me is that I want to be sealed and connected to my ancestors for all eternity. So for me, when I, when I celebrate Jewish holy days, that connects me to my, my fathers and mothers um, because I'm celebrating the same holy days and the same great things the Lord has done as they did. Mm -hmm. But I also want to be bound to them in a way that I can be certain. And so, you know, for me, uh, temple covenants and, and knowing that I'm taking names that I'm going to be sealed to these ancestors, that I'm not lost to them, uh, and that, that I can seal up the house of Israel, right? all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how I see the temple mm -hmm. from, from my point of view. So, you know, there is some anxiety about the baptisms part amongst the Jewish people, but the sealing part, right? That is, that is what we're trying to do. So we, I, I wanna have a personal connection and, 
and know that I'm going to see these ancestors again in the, in the world to come. Oh, I love that. Thank you, Jason. Melissa? As a historian, um, I kind of fixate on the section where it says the interpretation thereof by the gift of God. And the phrase is important to me because that was basically all that Joseph Smith said about how he translated or interpreted the Book of Mormon. He said um, the Book of Mormon was translated by the gift and power of God. Uh, we have Emma Smith's description. We have, you know, his scribe's descriptions, but that's all that Joseph Smith ever said. And that's like extremely broad, right? And we wish, I wish there were more detail. But what I also love is this title page shows the humanness of this Book of Mormon in the very beginning. It says, and now if there are faults, they are the mistakes of men, meaning people. Wherefore, condemn not the things of God, that you may be found spotless at the judgment seat of Christ. And further up, it says, an abridgment taken from the book of Ether also, which is a record of the people of Jared who were scattered at the time the Lord confounded the language of the people when they were building a tower to get to heaven. And already in the title page, we have these kind of layers of, of what's going on. And we also have an admission, actually, that there's probably going to be mistakes, but they're people's mistakes, but they're not God's mistakes because God always has to work through people. Even when God is giving someone gifts and powers, that person is still that person, mm -hmm. you know? And so as a historian, I just love the kind of signals right away from the very beginning that the Book of Mormon is sending out. Like, you know, this is an abridgment. This is not the primary source. You know, this is a secondary source. Moroni yeah. wrote his dissertation, you know, compiling all these different things and put them all together. There's probably mistakes. Those are people's mistakes, not God's mistakes. It says it over and over again, you know, Mormon, Moroni, and they all talk about how flawed and fallible they are as they're, you know, putting together the sacred text. I love this phrase towards the end of the title page. It says, to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself unto all nations. As you began your study of the Book of Mormon, uh, how, at what point did you come to know and see Jesus Christ in the Book of Mormon? When I first saw this, it shocked me, especially the eternal God. I kind of like was pushed back, like uh, there's, there's just one God, you know? Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is, is our God, the Lord is one. And so I'm, but I, I'm, I gotta read the book, I gotta, what is the Book of Mormon's case for Jesus being the Christ and being the eternal God? Mm -hmm. So it, it's piquing my curiosity and I don't believe in it right away, but I, I've got to go through the book to, to be convinced. Do you have a favorite verse that stands out to you that really uh, points out the, the emphasis and importance of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. 3 Nephi 15, uh, verse, verse 3. Okay. He says, marvel not that I said unto you that old things had passed away and that all things had become new. And he says, behold, I say unto you that the law is fulfilled that was given unto Moses. Behold, I am he that gave the law and I am he who covenanted with my people Israel. Therefore, the law in me is fulfilled for I have come to fulfill the law. Therefore, it hath an end. So he's saying, I was the one at Mount Sinai, Jason. I gave you the law. And now I'm coming here to Bountiful you know, through the Book of Mormon, and I'm coming to fulfill the law. And what does that mean to me? Because uh, I'm so attached to it. This the law gives me guidance for how, to, how do I live my life morally and ethically and righteously. He says, behold, I do not destroy the prophets, 
for as many as have not been fulfilled in me, verily I say unto you shall all be fulfilled. And because I said unto you that old things have passed away, I do not destroy that which hath been spoken concerning things which are to come. The, the lion is coming. For behold, and this is the most touching scripture in all the Book of Mormon to me, the covenant which I have made with my people is not all fulfilled. That gives me so much peace. He still has a covenant with us. Hasn't been superseded. But the law which was given unto Moses hath an end in me. Okay. Behold, I am the law and the light. Look unto me and endure to the end and ye shall live. For unto him that endureth to the end will I give eternal life. Just these few verses, he lays out what he's doing in, I think, reaffirming the covenant mm -hmm. that he's already made with Israel. That's but the beautiful. covenant's intact. I, I love uh, hearing from your perspective. It adds so much to the richness and the power of, of Christ's words and testimony. I would love to hear from the audience. Is there a specific verse from the Book of Mormon that helps strengthen your faith in Jesus Christ? Brenda. I would like to share the scripture on Alma, um, chapter 33, verse 19. And behold, he was spoken of my Moses. Yea, and behold, a type was raised up in the wilderness that whosoever will look upon it might live. And many did look and live. When the mission shared this gospel to me, and they offered me the Book of Mormon, they promised me if I read it, it would change my life. And because I read it and I joined the church, and then I have a chance to share my, my parents the gospel. And my dad don't believe God at all. He don't believe anything, and he have no religion. But he's starting to read this book of Mormon, and it will change his life. So it made me think about that, the promise on 20. If we believe it, that would be healed then. Because I often find that we have a lot of problems and challenges in our life. But if we're willing to read the book of Mormon, it would totally change our life. And that will help our third generations in my life. When I read the Book of Mormon, I can feel the wound spirit, especially I feel the firework is popping out. I don't know, just like goosebumps everywhere. And I just know it's true. Everywhere I read it, it just testify it. And so I know it is true. Thank you so much, Brenda. What a beautiful testimony. So with this new year, we're studying the Book of Mormon. What is your plan? What are you gonna do to further increase your study of the Book of Mormon? I think for me, what I'm going to be looking for when I read the Book of Mormon is ways to understand the relationships between people. Mm -hmm. Nephi says at one point, um, you know, I don't know the meaning of all things. At another point, Nephi says, you know, I don't know, but I know that God loves God's children. Mm -hmm. And that's what I find the most kind of solid a spark of divinity is in the relationships that people have with each other. So I think I'm going to try to pay a little more attention um, to the relationships that people have, especially to the characters who aren't named. So, so the women, you know, we, we know they were there and they did cool stuff. And so I just want to spend a little bit more time with all the people in the Book of Mormon, not just the people who were named. Judaism has this awesome tradition of Midrash where you can riff on stuff that's already in the Torah. And then, you know, you know, what were the people saying when, you know, the ark was floating and everything was starting to fill up with water? Or, you know, there's like Midrash for that, where you can kind of go to that scene and imagine stuff that's not already in the original text. We should have that's Midrashes cool. for like 
what were the daughters of Ishmael saying when, um, you know, we have here at 16, uh, 1 Nephi 16, verse 7, and it came to pass that I, Nephi, took one of the daughters of Ishmael to wife, and also my brethren took one of the daughters of Ishmael to wife, and also Zoram took the eldest daughter of Ishmael to wife. So, like, they all got married off. But, like, what was that conversation like? <laughs> what were the daughters saying to themselves, you know? And why did they agree? Maybe they, you know, they were kind of just forced out, and then they had to kind of reconcile themselves to their situation. Or maybe maybe they were also visionary, and they said, no, this is a really great thing. We're, we're going to go, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, but we can do that work of imagining them. Just because they don't have names doesn't mean they didn't exist. Just because it doesn't talk about what they had to go through doesn't mean that they you know, went through a complicated, uh, you know, and probably really difficult experience. So right. so I guess I'm trying to say, I'm just trying to pay attention to everyone in the Book of Mormon, exert a little more effort to kind of understand what was going on. I love it. What I intend to do and what I, what I love to do is I love to find the connections in the Book of Mormon to the five books of Moses, my first scripture, right? Mm-hmm. I love finding the references back to the five books of Moses. We just saw about the serpent and Moses holding up the serpent. Mm -hmm. Well, that comes from the five books of Moses. These stories are immersed in the Book of Mormon. It was what the Nephites were constantly reading because I've lived my life in this world between the the Sinai Covenant and what I like to think of as the Cumorah Covenant. And, you know, these are both hills, sacred Mm -hmm. mountains that contain covenants. And we have the Ten Commandments as the the stone tablets. And now we've got, you know, we have the gold tablets. And so I've always been wrestling between these two. And for me, the Book of Mormon prophets are the best able to reconcile uh, those, those kind of struggles with covenants that I have <laughs> and, uh, and how, I, how I'm supposed to live my life and be a disciple of Jesus Christ in a way that has integrity. So that, that's what I'm going to keep searching for, for how this helps my journey. I love both those ideas. I think it's great. I think it's important that we yeah. always try to that we're constantly studying the Book of Mormon and looking at it, you know, in different ways and studying it in different ways. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you both for sharing your thoughts and insights on how the Book of Mormon can strengthen our faith in Jesus Christ. And for the audience, you've been wonderful. Thanks for joining us today and sharing with us as well. And for you at home, we still have much to cover in footnotes. Stay with us. First time I gained a witness of the Book of Mormon is when I met a missionary in Taiwan. I grew up in a family that was not active in the church, and I decided when I was 16 that I was going to find out if the Book of Mormon was true or not. The Spirit came over me so strongly, and I knew that this was a good book. For the first time, I felt who Jesus Christ was, and I felt that He would save me, and I felt gratitude and humility, and I felt really undeserving, and I felt like I wanted to live a life of gratitude that would show how grateful I was for that gift. And um, nothing had done that for me before. And the Book of Mormon completely changed my heart to love him and want to follow him. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions from the introductory pages of the Book of Mormon with Jason and Melissa. Also joining us today is Jennifer Champeau. Jenny is a scholar of Latter-day Saint visual art and the director of the Book of Mormon Art Catalog. She taught art history as adjunct faculty at various colleges, including Northeastern University. She lives in Colorado with her husband and three children. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you for having me, Ben. 
Well, I would love to jump in. In the previous segment, Melissa, you brought up this term midrash. Um, would you mind giving us a little bit more of an explanation on what it is and how we can learn from Jenny and her work with art on how we can study the Book of Mormon? Well, midrash are just elaborations of something that already exists in scripture. So actually, we could consider Joseph Smith's expansion of Genesis in the Book of Moses as a big, long midrash. There's okay. very little on Enoch in the Book of Genesis, a few lines really. But then in Joseph Smith's um, revelation of the Book of Moses, um, it's this long story about Enoch where Enoch sees everything and talks to God and we learn so many things about the, you know, the nature of God, how God feels about humankind and all that stuff. So, so it's great. Um, and in the previous segment, I was kind of lamenting the fact that there's some details that we don't have, like, you know, what were the names of the women and like, how do they feel about things and, you know, what were they doing? And um, what's so great about art is that it fills in a lot of those details. I was just looking through your website, Jenny, and it's, it's incredible to just see the richness and the variety and the different perspectives that people from mm -hmm. different backgrounds have. And you realize, you know, when, when I'm reading the Book of Mormon, I have this certain picture in my head, but then everyone else has a different mm -hmm. picture in their head and that comes out in your art collection. Oh, thanks, Melissa. Yeah, it's been such a fun project to put together. And, you know, we talk about translation of the Book of Mormon, but I see in this art works of translation, too, that people are wrestling with the scriptures and figuring out what it means to them and, and how God is speaking to their heart. And there's sometimes different, right, different ways to approach a certain scripture or um, a passage or a different moment or angle of it to focus on. And you're right that artists are making choices in their art to fill in those details. And I think the more art we have, the more um, opportunities we have for people to fill in those details and for members of the church or other, other interested people to find greater meaning in the scripture and to have it become more real to them. As I've worked on the catalog, I've really been impressed with how much um, diversity there is in Book of Mormon art, um, more than I realize. And I think that is really a wonderful way for, for the global church to reach more people um, in a broader way. What is the art catalog called and how did you initially get involved with it? Yeah, so it's called the Book of Mormon Art Catalog. It's at bookofmormonartcatalog.org. Um, and I am an art historian. I study LDS uh, visual culture. And as I was researching Lehi's Dream art a few years ago um, for a book project on Lehi's Dream, I just was finding it really hard to get a clear picture of the trends and how Lehi's dream art had been done over the years because there wasn't any central place to go to find all the Lehi's dream art. So I started looking through museums and galleries and church manuals, private collections, publications, books and journals, and the Church History Museum collection. And, and there was so much more than I realized. When I first started, I thought maybe I'll get to 50 Lehi's dream images. And now we have over 250 in the catalog, wow. just on Lehi's Dream. There's over 3,000 images total, and it's growing constantly. We're constantly finding new things. And, and you've wow. brought us a couple pieces to take a look at. Would you mind sharing yeah. with us? Absolutely. Um, all right, so this first piece um, is by an artist named Annie Poon. She's a member of the church, and she lives in New York City. This is called Whispers. It's a print. You can see she's put a little part of the scripture up here from 2 Nephi 33, verse 13. And now, my beloved brethren, all those who are of the house of Israel, and all ye ends of the earth, I speak unto you as the voice of one crying from the dust. Farewell until that great day shall come. 
So we see Nephi. He's he's buried, um, long since dead and buried underground here, but still writing away. And then this girl who's got her ear pressed to the ground, really trying to listen to these whispers that you see floating up from Nephi. They're actually are very, very few depictions of this scripture at all. I think the scripture itself is sort of a haunting message, but I think Annie captures it in, in a, a playfully macabre right. kind of a way. And also with the art, I see Annie's collapsing time and space here, right? Where you have this living girl today and Nephi from thousands of years ago, right? And yet they're so close to each other. They're just right there. And just like the Book of Mormon does that for us, that it brings us closer to this these ancient prophets and, and witness of Christ. Thank you so much. What it got me thinking of, uh, Jenny, was, you know, the, the Nephites, I've, I empathize with them so much because they're trying so hard to, like, pass the covenant on to, to, so it, it sees the latter days. But the whole reason they have to cry from the dust is because they, they don't pass the covenant on. Um, and, and Moroni is literally the last bearer of the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he, he seals up the record. Um, they, they do have promises that their children, even though their children are gonna get super lost, are gonna have that record again. Mm -hmm. But in my life, you know, trying to pass the covenant to my children, um, my own failure to pass Jewish covenant, I, I, I mean, all these things, like, you you can really empathize with this. It's kind of like a, a sacred failure. Like, <laughs> I, ha I didn't pass the covenant on, so I have to cry from the dust. <laughs> but this this character here is, like, so eager to learn. What, what do you have to say? Yeah, I you love know? that. I feel like I really identify with that, like, just trying to hear those whispers and yeah. be closer to that. that ancient record. Yeah. And you have another piece as well to share I with us. I do have one more. Um, this little one is um, by an artist named Robert Sontag, and this is called Behold Your Little Ones. As I was reading Jason's wonderful book, he talked about how he felt like Mormonism was, like had this heart, uh, this Judaic heart, but wrapped in the skin of a Christian visual culture. And I've noticed with a lot of our LDS art that so much of our symbolism and styling um, and even interpretations of scripture and art um, follow traditional Protestant Christian patterns. And it just got me thinking, your quote made me think, could we do better at LDS art capturing more of this unique doctrine and maybe like referring back to some of those more ancient ideas or styles or practices. Um, and I think this one does that a little bit. Yeah. Um, this is from 3rd Nephi 17, where Christ is blessing the Nephite children in ancient America. Um, and you see here the resurrected Christ in the center. And then the children are surrounding him in a circle. Uh, then we have angels with fire coming out behind their wings, and then the parents of the children in the two circles. Because he's done it in this more conceptual way, it allowed him to include different kinds of symbolism, the circumscribed square, these ideas of heaven and earth coming together, the halo over Christ, the sort of Egyptian style figures, the wings of the angels. It made me think differently about the scripture mm -hmm. and with a deeper kind of theology and these themes of eternity and families and, and covenant. Okay, let's do a little experiment. As we're staring at this piece of art, and what's the first thing, or, or is there a message that comes to your mind just by looking at it and analyzing it? What came to me pretty quickly was one eternal round. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
And th this is pretty philosophical, but there is kind of a different view of history in, in Jewish civilization, that Jewish history is actually cyclical, that it goes around in a circle. Mm -hmm. So the Exodus is actually just the first, uh, well, that we know of, of a series of exile and redemption, exile and redemption, or return, right? And so I, right, we're living in the latter days, but it's still the same process, exile and return to the land, and that history is actually just moving in circles. And uh, it's a in like Greek philosophy, right? It's the, this uh, the straight line idea, and that we have to keep moving toward the end. Um, but I like that this is like no, we're we're going to keep moving in a circle because for Heavenly Father, you know, He does. There is no end. It's just going back around and mm -hmm. and developing His children in one eternal round to become like Him, right? Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Oh, that makes me think about um, you know Psalm one twenty six. I was in the hospital and I, I memorized it because I was trying to think of things to do while in the hospital. <laughs> and um, I was thinking about this idea, as it says, you know, when, when God, you know, redeemed us from our exile, you know, we were so, we were rejoicing. And I was like, which one, which redemption is this referring to? So I'm right. so happy to hear you say, it happens over and over again. Because I was thinking yeah. of like all the times, you know, Jews have been kicked out of places, um, like in European history, for example. And I was like, yeah. they must like come back to this Psalm a lot. Like in Latter-day Saint tradition, we have many Exodus narratives as well. There's, you know, the Book of Mormon, Lehi and his family. There's, you know, the Jaredites. There's um, the saints who are driven from one place to another. Um, there are times when we're on the other side of that Exodus when we're kicking, driving people out as well. Right. Um, but it, it's just, it's like the cycle. Cycle, um, yeah. That is part of the history. So that's really cool. Yeah. Well, to Thank bring you. balance to the force, this is my simple mind. Um, for me, it was, you know, Christ is the center of our lives. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I just, and, and that, that image just, for me, it was the first thing I thought of was, wow. It's beautiful. He's the center of everything, all the complex designs and, and the beauty of everything that's going around. I don't really understand all that, but I do understand that Christ is at the center of my life. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's the beauty of the power of the Book of Mormon is that it, that's what it teaches us. Is mm -hmm. if, Even if we go back to that introduction page, at, to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ. Mm. On the front cover, you know, the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ, putting him at the center. I just thought that was really profound yeah. that that's what's yeah. just, and, and you don't have to say a word, it's just boom, it's there. Yeah. You know, that's what it, that. it's, it's testifying for yeah. me, that yeah. painting testifies that Christ is at the center of our lives. And everything's lives. revolving around him. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and he's, he's there ready to bless us, right? Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. shown here in this kind of a blessing gesture, he's ready to help us and bless us and comfort us and give us all the things we need. I love it. It's almost like, as we study the Book of Mormon, we have, you know, the testimony of the witnesses. Artwork can be a witness of the truthfulness of, of gospel principles of the Book of Mormon. And I love mm -hmm. the work that you do. It adds another element of how we can testify of the Book of Mormon in so many different ways. You know, I had a student at BYU reach out to me. She had seen an advertisement for the catalog on BYU campus. And... Um, she checked it out. She'd been home from her mission and had a great mission, but then after her mission felt like she just wasn't engaging with the scriptures in the same way and really wanted to regain that um, connection with the Book of Mormon. And as she looked through the Book of Mormon art in the catalog, she felt um, very clearly that, it, that God had led her there to um, 
as a way for her to re-engage um, in a very deep spiritual way with the scripture. I don't know. I hope the catalog can do that for mm-hmm. a lot of people. I, it's certainly done it for me. I've definitely been forced to engage with the scriptures in a different way as we've had to dig into the scriptures um, as we've cataloged the art. And that's that's really helped me understand the scriptures in a different way. Mm. That's great. I love it. What, what about you? From, from what do you see, Jason, from this idea of, you know, using other resources to increase our, our study? I, I have this encounter uh, when I'm doing my PhD research. One of my professors recommends this, this great rabbi and scholar. His name's Abraham Joshua Heschel. He he walked with Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement, very influential rabbi. But um, I got introduced to his book called The Prophets. And it's, so it's this rabbi writing about the prophets. And this is, you know, when I'm starting my PhD research, but I start getting into this book and he just lays it out so clearly. And it's helped guide my understanding of the Book of Mormon and all the scriptures, but there's one part in particular where he talks about the difference between a priest and a prophet. And it's, it's helped me like unlock so many things because the priest represents uh, the people in their relationship toward God. And so that's why the priest is bringing sacrifices, you know, on behalf of the people. The people have sent, you know, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's the sacrifices on behalf of the people. Uh, please accept their repentance, God, and and please forgive them. He says the prophet represents God to the people. And so the prophet has this special relationship with God, and and the prophet is speaking God's word and God's feelings to the people. And so when I'm reading the Book of Mormon, the passion of the prophet, especially Abinadi, which I mentioned, he's he's my favorite because he is the mold of the Hebrew prophet. He's going to the king and, you know, he's, he's bold, he's courageous, and he's conveying God's feelings, you know, God's pathos, which is like, and that, that book, Abraham Joshua Heschel, The Prophets, kind of really helped me understand actually what prophets are all about. And then I go back and it helps me understand President Nelson and, and we can get a, a check on how God feels about things. Another resource that I think is really awesome is in the Gospel Library in um, the church history section. It's called the Global Histories. And there's so many stories there. So the Global Histories are stories from members of the church in every country where we are. There's so many stories in there about you know, people encountering the Book of Mormon, people translating the Book of Mormon. One that really stands out to me is um, a woman named Sri Laksana in Thailand. And she was a translator of the Thai Book of Mormon. And she, you know, um, had this incredible education. She was really good with language. She could do English. She could do Thai. She was translating one night, but she could not come up with a word for priesthood. There was just not a good word for it. She's just kind of like sitting there totally stymied. She's um, really struggling with this. And then she, you know, had this moment of inspiration. She like sees this word um, that does not actually exist in the in the Thai language. And she like, she's like, that's the word for priesthood. She like writes it down. Um, and, and like that becomes the word that she uses for translation. And there's like, a couple of other really incredible stories um, in her translation. But this is kind of a common theme is people are encountering the Book of Mormon, you know, from different countries and different languages. So many people, you know, just find it so compelling and feel like they have this, you know, sacred experience when they're translating it, when they're reading it. Um, it's really quite incredible when you see the kind of cross-national, mm-hmm. cross-cultural, cross-language mm-hmm. yeah. um, engagement with this text. 
So Jason, you had touched a little bit earlier on uh, making connection from Old Testament uh, to the Book of Mormon. Uh, would you mind sharing with us a little bit more on what are some specific uh, scriptures from the Old Testament that connected you to the Book of Mormon to help further your understanding of it? Yeah, absolutely, Ben. Um, Ezekiel 37 is, is one that I really love. There's a lot of great stuff in here. It's the dry bone prophecy where he's basically talking about the resurrection of the house of Israel. That's kind of the first part of Ezekiel 37. <laughs> but um, he says, the word of the Lord came again unto me. Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. And for me, that's always been the Torah, you know, this, literally this, the scrolls on the stick. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions, and join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thy hand. And then he says, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel, his fellows, and will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in mine hand. And so it's, how are we gonna get Judah and Joseph, the, these two you know, rival tribes? There, there's a lot of biblical history where they're, they're clashing and they actually split and into two separate kingdoms. And so how does this all gonna get restored in some future day. And, you know, this is a puzzling scripture. What, so for me, when uh, the Book of Mormon comes forth and Joseph Smith's teaching of it as the, the stick of Ephraim, and also in 2 Nephi 3, it's, it's very specific that this is the stick of Joseph. And, it's, uh, and it becomes one in nine hand and also that it um, confounds false doctrines and, you know, I remember as a missionary, the simple idea of when you try to hang up a painting, right? You, you need two nails, you know, to hang up both sides. And we would, it, but it's such a simple idea that you need two witnesses. Mm -hmm. And uh, Joseph and Judah are those witnesses. And I think it helps complete the restoration uh, that, we, that we have both. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So something that we, we haven't touched on yet that I feel like all of this is coming together. You talked about, we've talked about art. I love even uh, different resources of studying the Bible, all points us to standing as a witness of the Book of Mormon. This is what it's all about. As we go in and as we study the Book of Mormon this year, one of the first things we turn to is the testimony of three witnesses, the testimony of the eight witnesses. Melissa, you had talked earlier about um, Emma being a witness what about these testimonies impresses you and adds to the uh, our own testimonies of the Book of Mormon? So these are the back of the Book of Mormon Study Edition. Um, so Oliver Cowdery wrote um, in a letter to W.W. W. Phelps in 1834. He says, These were days never to be forgotten, to sit under the sound of a voice dictated by the inspiration of heaven, awaken the utmost gratitude of this bosom. Day after day I continued uninterrupted to write from his mouth, Joseph Smith's mouth, as he translated with the Urim and Thummim, or as the Nephites would have said, interpreters, the history or record called the Book of Mormon. Oliver Cowder had a kind of complicated relationship with Joseph Smith and with the church, but you can hear in this letter, um, you know, it captures this kind of feeling of joy, exhilaration, the kind of awesomeness it must have been to kind of produce a sacred scripture. Um, and then David Whitmer um, was interviewed in 1882, and he wrote something quite interesting. 
So David Whitmer's another one of the three witnesses. And the translation took place at his house. Mm -hmm. So it said, one morning when he, Joseph Smith, was getting ready to continue the translation, something went wrong about the house and he was put out about it. Something that Emma, his wife, had done. Maybe they disagreed over who was <laughs> do the dishes. I don't know. <laughs> Oliver and I went upstairs, and Joseph came up soon after to continue the translation, but he could not do anything. He could not translate a single syllable. He went downstairs out into the orchard and made supplication to the Lord, was gone about an hour, came back to the house, asked Emma's forgiveness, and then came upstairs where we were, and the translation went on all right. Hmm. He could do nothing save he was humble and faithful. So... We have, you know, these multiple historical accounts of people who just had this divine confirmation that this was a divine process. There were normal people were involved. They mm-hmm. got annoyed at each other over domestic <laughs> things or were, you know, but still God was in that work as well, which I think is a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I love that. I love that too, Melissa. And I had a similar kind of thought about just sort of the, the, the material <laughs> experience of the plates were in the testimony of eight witnesses. They say, for we have seen and hefted. Mm. And I just thought, hefted, wow. Okay, so like they were really lifting them. And what a like physical word that is to think of like, not just touching the plates, yeah. but like lifting them, mm. feeling their weight. Um, and you can think about weight literally and also symbolically, right? I'm so grateful you mentioned like the, the heftiness of the plates, like, because I, I was only a 14-year-old boy, but I will never forget, like, just feeling God's voice, do not burn my book, and then the weight that, you know, my little blue Book of Mormon felt at that moment. Like, oh, this is not just a, a missionary propaganda. Like, hmm. I, and all of a sudden I felt the weight, oh, this might be scripture. That's... That's different. Sacred. Mm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. This has been a fascinating conversation, and I'm excited as we enter into this new year to learn of all the ways in which we can not only study the Book of Mormon, but be witnesses of it through what we learn and and how we, we act and behave and how it draws us closer to Christ based off of his teachings. Thank, Thank you all so very much for contributing, for sharing. It was great to have you share with us, Jenny. And it was so great to get to know you, Jason, and everything you've done and and your conversion story as well. And for those watching at home, thank you for joining us for this discussion from the introductory pages of the Book of Mormon. Visit byutv.org slash come follow up for more study and teaching resources. And join us next week as we study 1 Nephi chapters 1 through 5 and discuss how the Lord prepares a way for us to accomplish His commands. Thank you for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.